Hello and welcome to YHTV's Magical Medical Tour. This is episode 36. Thank you for joining us here today. I'm Christina Suzuma, and with me is our wonderful medical guide, Dr. Glenn Woolman. Hello, Glenn. Hello, Christina. How are you? Good, thank oh, you. Good. I'm happy to hear that. Have you adjusted to our wonderful time change? Um, <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't think I ever adjust. I think I just have my own time, and it always stays that time. <laughs> I, I can't Please don't tell the children of the world that, okay? <laughs> I can't, I can't. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. Uh, I, well, it, it was one of those very interesting things with the time change. It always was a big deal working in the emergency department mm. because if you worked, say, that night shift, you know, and let's say you started working at seven at night and you work until seven in the morning. If at two in the morning, it's and when you had five hours to go and it moved backward, oh, you had another hour of work to go. Oh, and my on the gosh, other, I didn't think about that. Yeah, it, it becomes, especially if it's a busy emergency department where uh, a lot of things are coming in all night, you know, and it's usually a late Saturday night, early Sunday morning uh, time when the shift changes. Mm -hmm. But it works the other way for other people when you're when you're at it's at two o'clock and you have five hours to go suddenly whoa now i have four hours to right. go <laughs> so it was people always had to work it out like that so i think because of those kind of things it always just i tried to uh not deal with it right, too much right. but i think yeah you might be right maybe i'm not adjusted <laughs> that's what's going on now i get it now i get it anything new with you Yes, yes. Um, I love the early mornings that are bright. I like waking up at five o'clock in the morning and seeing the sun again. But it's really tough at the end of the day when it gets dark really early and we're used to working till seven, eight o'clock and suddenly it's dark. <laughs> Boy, I know. That's one of my favorite parts of the year is that moment when you look up and you say, wow, it's eight o'clock and the sun isn't even down yet. Right. Something like that. I love that time of the year. Oh, it's wow. great. I don't know. So who's hey, our listen, special guest today? We have a very special <laughs> guest today. Uh, it's Oh, by the way, uh, greetings, everyone. And <laughs> I'd like to welcome everyone to Magical Medical Tour. I'm Dr. Glenn Wallman. I'll be your guide along with uh, Christina, our co-host, as we search each week through the healthcare galaxy for optimal health. Yeah, so... Most of the time on the show, uh, I think we just keep expanding a magical medical tour and looking at all the quadrants. Everything's available to us. Mm. So we talk to a lot of healers and we talk to uh, people that are being healed, uh, like in our last show with uh, Professor Lon Winston. And uh, we've talked with administrators and scientists and a number of other people. And occasionally you and I have spoken, but we're usually speaking about a specific topic that for me is based in facts and uh, reports and studies and things like that. Today, we're going to go a little differently, but it's almost going to be, and I would like to suggest a contest for all of our global viewers. Uh, maybe uh, for, for the next two weeks, we'll start on election day here and we'll end it in two weeks contest. 
this is sort of something that I would talk about in a blog form rather than rather than on our show, but I've decided might be fun to try it on the show. And I'd like to think of a word that we could use that would describe what it is when we're doing a show like this and, and it's blogging more than uh, a lecture kind of thing. And I know there is a word called vlogging, but to me that sounds like flogging too much and I don't like that. <laughs> so I would like to find something uh, or have someone come up with a suggestion for something that fits our show more. Both of our shows, maybe even, you know, with Trinity, because uh, sometimes we may want to do this. Anyway, a little contest, come up with a name uh, for what we're doing on the days that we're just blogging uh, visually and orally. <laughs> and uh, I guess we should have a prize. What do you think? Uh, maybe uh, a copy of Sleep Suite. That sounds great. Yep. I'm okay with Put you to sleep. <laughs> that's okay after you spend so much time wondering what name should i give it what name should i give it you'll you know you, you're gonna lose some sleep <clears> so <laughs> i don't know well i i'll keep thinking uh, maybe i'll win it there you, you know, go i come up with the name or maybe uh, we'll open it up also to the uh production team all of the sound crew the lighting crew the uh technical digital team that works with us all the time maybe we'll open it up to all of those people I don't know. They would well, have fun. <laughs> <laughs> yes. They would probably come up with something. They probably came up with vlogging. Vlogging. <laughs> I don't know. So uh, today uh, I'm going to just blog a little. I'll call it blogging until uh, I figure it out. And I worked <laughs> working in the emergency department. You know, each when you're there and you're working a shift, each time you go to a patient's bed or to uh, behind a curtain or into a room, you're seeing these running episodes of people's lives at times when crisis is usually at its peak. Crisis, anxiety, fear, uh not a lot of happiness most of the time. And there's this continuous running series of things that happen. Uh, and, you know, I may see in one bed uh, a nine-year-old girl who's taking her last breath because of a severe asthma and allergic reaction attack. And in the next bed, I may see a 16-year-old boy who was in a gang fight and was shot in the chest and is potentially taking his last breath. There may be a, a maternal grandmother from a family of four generations that are all gathered around and she's dying. So things happen on all levels. And, and of course, there's happy things going on too. So every once in a while, we're delivering a baby there or we uh, fix somebody something and they feel a lot better for it. But throughout that aspect, I... I was able to figure out, and along with, I must say, working with integrative medicine people at the integrative medicine hospital-based program that I uh, was involved in, uh, working with shamans and naturopathic healers and uh, a number of different healers from around the planet, it seemed to me that there were about six aspects of things that people had to deal with. Of course, one of them is 
nutrition. There's no question about it. We need that for so many reasons. Another is uh, exercise. You know, it's really appearing to help the heart, the brain, the uh, vascular system, musculoskeletal systems, etc. Uh, stress and stress management very important sleep and sleep management we've had uh, talks about that with Andy Bender uh, and a number of others patterns of behavior and spirituality these categories are the categories that need to be addressed by all people in order to have some chance of optimal health and today I want to get into spirit uh, it's not a topic that I usually speak about because a lot of times, as I said, I, I would come in with most of my topics that would have a double blind placebo controlled, <laughs> you know, meta analysis, uh, prospective crossover study. But it's not quite as easy to do that with spirituality. But it's a very important part because one of the things that I saw, and especially in those types of cases that I brought up before, where people were potentially in their last moments of life, depending on what they came in with and what we were capable of doing for them. Uh, the ones that had spirituality within their life and within their practice seemed to do better. They may have died, but they appeared to die better. And the people around them seemed to handle it better than the people that didn't. And I have uh, a great story on this once. Uh, there was a man with uh, having a severe heart attack, an elderly man. His wife came in. They'd been married for years. Uh, they were side by side. We saw that he was having a heart attack, and we saw that it was so massive that, and with all of the changes, he was not going to live for much longer. And we had choices of trying to give him lots of medicines, put him on a respirator, and maybe leave him in a coma for a long time. Yeah. That kind of a choice. You know, these are the many choices that are made every day in an emergency department. And we explained the situation to he and his wife and they had choices. They could, we could be uh, aggressive or we could be not aggressive and make him comfortable in his last moments and left them alone for a little while. And because it was obvious that they had a spirituality between them they came back in a few moments and decided that make him comfortable. Let's not save him. And he was totally alert. He, it was, it was not like he was, he was already out and not breathing. He was alert and total understanding of everything. The two of them had just a beautiful conversation. I wish I could have been more of an actual part of it, mm. but I, I did get to speak with them a little more as we went on and we chose to make him just comfortable and it was beautiful. Tears, everything was very uh, sad, but joyful at the same time. So spirituality in uh, health and in healing seems to be very important to me. And the problem is that, especially again in the emergency department, when people do not have that, uh, they, they then try to get it while they're in the emergency department, you know, lying on the gurney in the last few minutes. And some do, but many don't really. Mm. And uh, so part of my 
process always is about preparatory or preparatory medicine. So my suggestion in terms of spirituality is to try and get it before you need it. <laughs> like everything else, right? <laughs> yeah, like everything else. Uh, and so before I really get into it a little bit, I just want to give maybe some definitions. I think that would be yeah. helpful, at least my way of looking, because we always talk about body, mind, and spirit. So for me, a definition of body <clears throat> is everything from the skin and within and back to the skin. It's everything that we could take out, we could remove, we can look under a microscope, we could see in an imaging study, uh, or we can analyze in some kind of a machine. That's, that's the body for me. The mind is some element or product of us that allows us to make contact with the body, with ourselves, and with others. And the spirit is kind of a non-physical presence that allows us to see a bigger picture, to see our place in the universe, and communicate with the universe as it flows around all of us. So th those are my simple definitions of body, mind, and spirit. And today, what I would like to think about is how spirit is involved in three aspects of health and healing. Uh, and the first one I would talk about uh, would be about the healer, doctors and, and others. And, and in this case, most often, it's more the Western doctors. I kind of believe that a lot of the Eastern doctors, and we know many of them, uh, and the shamans and all uh, aspects, put spirit into their work. But the doctors don't always have that amount of time. So from, and, and it hasn't been a, a major part of our learning process in terms of learning uh, about medicine and how to take care of people. One of the things that we learn is to take, when we meet a patient, we learn how to take a history. And that history is very complex. And the more that we can learn from the history, the better chance we have of making a diagnosis and helping someone. Uh, that, of course, uh, assumes that the person answering the questions will be telling us the truth. That doesn't always happen. And that's another part of learning to take a history to recognize when maybe the person is either not telling the truth or they may want to tell the truth, but they've never been able to. So it's a little struggle and it's time to help them uh, bring it out. In the emergency department, a lot of people did tell the truth because it was about life and death situations. But taking a history included a present illness, included a social history. Uh, do you drink? Do you smoke? Have you traveled around the world? It, it has a genetic history. Did your parents have illnesses, grandparents, any major diseases in your family history? Uh, past illnesses, what kind of surgeries have you had? You know, medication history, what are you taking? What are you allergic to? There's a number of different parts of the history, but one thing we don't really ever talk about is uh, taking or taking at least a moment to find out someone's spiritual history. And I think that's an important part that needs to be added to the history taking among Western doctors uh, and maybe anybody that's practicing. 
If you're not asking that, it's a good idea because especially now people are traveling and we take care of people from all over the world and each has maybe a different uh, spiritual aspect to them. I thought it had become quite common these days in the emergency ward to ask that. We ask, the, the question is asked for a form, you know, to fill out. But a lot of times that form has to do with other things being used. In other words, if something does happen, they, they may want to know to call a priest in or, mm-hmm. or a rabbi or, like, you know, an imam or, but it's not something that a lot of time is taken. Although that's what I'm saying. I found that when I did that in the emergency department, especially in those situations, um, it was very helpful in helping people to settle down, to ground themselves, to center, to get a little more balance. So I did that. But uh, we we may spend some time on it, but I don't think that we really incorporate it that often into how we're going to treat people. It seems like it's just another uh, question that gives us information, but do we utilize it? And I'm thinking that... Uh, more doctors should be utilizing it in uh, their their knowledge and the way they deal with their patients and also in the way they prescribe things for their patients and how they go through procedures. And we'll, we'll talk about that a little later. Uh, I also think that doctors should uh, become a little more spiritual within themselves as they see each patient. Uh, I know that if I was able to do it in the emergency department, as I said, I would go from one room to another. And before I would go into each room, I would try, if I could, to take all of my attention away from wherever else it was and bring all of my attention into this person who I was speaking to because I was going to have to find out some very important things very quickly. Now, sometimes, granted, I might be worrying about the people in the seven or eight or ten other beds, but I tried from a point of view to almost do my uh, metaphor square breath before going into uh, a patient's room. Of course, in the emergency department, I didn't have time to do the four square. I could only do maybe one square. But, uh, <laughs> but because I practice it a lot, uh, just going in the one circle takes me to that place and it brings me to a place of attention and intention as I uh, go in to talk to and examine people. And, and also the, the part is when we put our hands on people, that was an important part for me too. I made, I tried to make uh, a connection. The first thing that people expect of a doctor is sort of after a hello and a greeting uh, it seems like a natural thing that a doctor might put their hand on your wrist and take your pulse. And I used to do that immediately after introducing myself because I wanted to make touch and contact. And that contact was very important because in a way, depending on the person, it exuded my confidence and my professionalism. But it also, if I had an an attention and intention of doing my best for that person, sometimes that that came through me, through my fingers and my pulse, 
into them. Mm -hmm. I believe that. And it also, it allowed me, and I kept my hand on their pulse even long after I was taking the pulse and counting it and looking at all the important parts of it. Uh, I would still keep my hand on them to make that contact because I thought it was very important. And sometimes it did give me clues to things. So that's another aspect uh, that I like to speak about uh, in terms of uh, the healer's process. You and I both know and, and go to an esoteric acupuncturist, and he takes it to a very spiritual level uh, when he uses his needles on people. I've had many discussions with him, and as I'm sure you have, he believes that anything that he puts into his body comes out through his needles. So he tries to be as pure as possible uh, as as he manifests and works with people using his needles. And I think that's that's an area. Certainly, I don't know that uh, Western doctors could do that uh, on the same level at all times. But uh, I think it's an interesting way to see it. And I think more of us that would look that way, uh, it would be better for the entire practice of medicine. It would bring us to a more holistic place. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I, I completely agree. I mean, um, I can definitely tell the difference when uh, an individual, even if it's like just the dentist, mm -hmm. if they are healthy or not, I mean, I feel it. I feel it because they're breaking the space with me when I call, you know, a person's space. Um, and it really, you, you can feel, you know, either if someone's healthy or if they're not. And, and is, I am a little more sensitive, but I have other people making the same comment. So, you know, there are, like I say, there are even masseuses when people go in to have a massage done. I say, it's really important who's doing that massage and how clean that individual is and how balanced they are. Because, you know, they could also be spreading someone else's energy. <laughs> That's right. Do you? That's right. And it's, and it's, and if you, especially if you work with a lot of energy people, could you imagine all of the different energetics that are happening in an emergency department oh, yes. at any given time, especially in a downtown county facility during, uh, oh. you know, certain times of the year, et cetera. There's a lot of energies going on. And it's been interesting to see people that were energy type workers dealing with that in the emergency department. Mm -hmm. In fact, many times that was some of the reason for the angst of some of the people that I had to work with and calm them down. It was almost easier to calm them down from what they had than from what they were taking in from all the energies. This, and spiritualities of other people. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's why I say one of the important things I think for each doctor, uh, what I do now, I know with my uh, clients as a medical guide, I try to allow a certain amount of time between clients so that I can sort of take in all of what my client had and debrief myself from it for the moment and then bring in the uh, process of the next client coming in and be fully prepared and fully mindful of what they were, what they're coming in for and, and to have my attention to them. Um, the second category, uh, unless you have some more thoughts on the, on healers and spirituality. Oh, no, I, I, 
I, the, the one area I would say would be, um, uh, how one can transition, um, such as yourself, you know, you're going from room to room to room dealing with these people. Um, and I mean, how do you keep yourself clean from something like that? How, how do you, away from your metaphor square breath, to refocus and sort of like to shift, make that shift from one patient to another. And most people, as you say, are critical in that kind of situation. Well, another way to do it, and another little handy thing, which I'm going to bring up in the third aspect, uh, <laughs> is... Can you wait for the third aspect? <laughs> uh, yeah, okay. No, we could, we could do this. Uh, is uh, taking a moment to wash your hands mm. before... Uh, each different patient. And so in a way it becomes a little bit symbolic where for that moment I'm washing my hands of this person. I've done everything I can in that moment. Mm -hmm. I'm washing my hands and I'm coming in clean again. So, and, and sometimes depending on what we're doing, take putting on a different gown or, you know, a mask or things like that. And there are, there are many different ways that people have their own method of, of, of transitioning. Sometimes it, you get to, you pick up, you put down the chart of one patient and you pick up the chart of another patient. So as you're putting down that chart, symbolically, all of their information, you've done everything you can, you've written your orders and you now time has to happen so that orders can be followed out and you can see treatment results of something. Somebody's having an asthma attack and I write an order to uh, a nurse to give a certain medication or do a certain type of treatment. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I put that down and then I pick up the next chart and I start looking at it, reviewing it, thinking through it. And in, in that whole process, it brings me into a spiritual sense of uh, what this person is going to need from me now and how I can be more open to what they need at the same time. Mm -hmm. So in the second category, uh, we've just dealt with healers now, <clears throat> patients, you know, people, I think from the point of view of dealing with the doctor first, I think it's, it's very important to when you meet with a doctor uh, after you go through the general history, if uh, finding out all of the important things about you clinically, if the doctor has brought up your spirituality, then you've already answered the question. But if they haven't brought it up, it might be uh, something worth thinking about just to let the doctor know what your spirituality is. Uh, it may or may not make a difference to them, but maybe over time, if more doctors hear that people, patients want to know and want the doctor to know just as much as my blood type is A positive, this is my spirituality as you go around uh, trying to work with me and give me things uh, or treat me in certain ways, operate on things. So I think uh, that from a patient point of view, I think it's a good idea that people bring into the doctor's uh, database uh, some of that information. It may help them at some point, may help the doctor at some point if things become critical. It may give them some ideas on 
things to do, maybe in final days or choosing hospice or uh, different types of medications that they can offer or counseling, number of different things. So I, I think it's a good idea to share it more on a, on a medical healing level also. That's, that's something that I think needs to be done. And, and sometimes if the doctors start doing it, that's good. But if they don't, I think it's a good idea to have the opportunity to bring that up. And then, of course, for patients to develop their own spirituality uh, and learn to work with it in healing aspects also. Uh, and certainly many people that do this, you know, pray for health and wish for abundance and uh, prosperity. All These things are always in different parts of spirituality. Uh, but, or at least I guess in some spiritualities. I can't say for all, <laughs> but uh, <clears throat> it should it should be a daily practice of health to bring spirituality into into the life uh, of your health and healing. Mm -hmm. And there are many ways to do this. And the the ways that you do it, uh, if you have aspects and this comes comes in with connections of body, mind and spirit. In times when health uh, usually affects the body first, then the mind picks up on it and starts doing things with it. And then uh, a connection needs to be made to spirit to find out on both parts. One, uh, many of these people that we speak with talk about root cause analysis. And some of the more natural type of healers are looking for things other than a certain type of a bacteria or a fungus or a parasite. Uh, they're looking for a deeper cause of things. And when you're trying to heal someone, you need to look on the body level, the cells and everything. You need to look on the mental aspect, but you also need to connect it to the um, spiritual aspect. And when the three are in line, People are in balance, and that's harmony, and most of the time, uh, people are healthy. It's when there are imbalances somewhere that imbalances eventually manifest as a uh, disease or an illness or something like that. So in your own work, in each person's own work, by having a spiritual practice, sometimes you can pick up more quickly and easily than someone outside of you, meaning some kind of a healer, especially a Western healer, you could pick up your own process if you do enough work to possibly guide the, the healers into what's wrong. And in, and in some cases, you can figure out what's wrong on your own even more easily and look for your own solutions, which are always good. So that's another aspect that I believe. And I think the more work that people do included into the health aspect, uh, the better off they appear to be when serious health issues do occur. Mm. But um, Glenn, don't you feel that um, that word spirituality, uh, there's so much confusion between that and religi religion? I, yes, I, I think so. That's why I specifically use the word spirituality mm -hmm. rather than religion. Um, I think 
one of the things that I like about spirituality is that it can be done between a person and their own spirits. Uh, religions sometimes have uh, people that intercede mm-hmm. and uh, sometimes for the best and sometimes not for the best. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But uh, I believe spirit, again, is just something that's not a part of us that connects us to the bigger picture, you know, that puts us in the universe and helps us to be centered, grounded uh, within it. I don't, and in my practice, I practice it the same way that I practice the rest of my medical guiding. I have an understanding of many of the spiritualities that are out there, and I look for the person's spirituality and helping them to guide them to their optimal health. I don't try and put another uh, spirituality. And sometimes, you know, in my experience, most of the, the world's religions at the very core say almost the same thing. You know, it's about love. It's about caring for others and doing to others those kind of things. And I think they're all similar like that. It's just the way uh, that they're practiced sometimes that are different and (laughs) uh, in the name of different spiritualities. So, so I look for if a person has a certain spirituality, that's what I look for. And sometimes I will include aspects of other spiritualities to help blend them to me even spirit sometimes can be a combinatorial medicine you know i practice combinatorial medicine just like i can have western and eastern medicine there's no reason that you can't have combinatorial spirituality now some people argue that and i don't want to get into the argument of spirituality right now where if you're not pure in one then you're not pure at all and that to me uh, I accept that as a spirituality and that was that is what I would work with with whoever had that mm-hmm. uh but yes I agree spirit and religion both are good both can be similar but we can find some differences in them and I think that's more in trinity of life uh and magical medical tour but maybe <laughs> not what do you think combinatorial medicine combinatorial combinatorial (laughs) spirituality yeah body mind spirit it all comes together they need to be they need to be connected uh there's no question that they need to be connected so i'd like to uh talk a little more about the third area unless you want to talk a little about the second area so we've talked about healers Mm -hmm. and spirituality and patience or people with spirituality uh any anything that you want to go before we go to our third aspect um you know what something very interesting that i've learned recently because there's always you know when 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 we do speak on trinity of life uh, etc and i do speak to people about spirituality um there there is a hesitation and fear because you know they, they see it almost like an organized religion so do I. So, you know, so that's kind of what keeps coming up with a lot of people. Anytime we mention spirituality, it's like, oh, that's, you know, that's religion and this and that. And it's like, no, it really isn't. 
And uh, recently we had a visit um, from the Himalayan masters, uh, uh, Yogmata Keiko Aikawa uh, from Japan uh, and um, Pilot Baba, who is uh, from the Himalayan mountains. And it was very interesting because I had imposed that question on uh, Pilot Baba. And he says he had, he replied with, um, you know, because they have their chanting. Yes. And he says, no, he says, it's not about religion. He says, it is about, um, it's all based on science. What their meditations and, the, and what they're saying, like their mantras, is all based on science and how to rebalance the body and the mantras that are being said, how it, it resonates, um, on the cellular level and the core level of the body as, and that's hence why different people have different mantras. Whereas here in the Western world, you know, we all pick up a mantra and it's like, oh, it, you know, we'd like, like it because we'd like better health. So, so we're all saying the same mantra, so to say. And in their world of spirituality and balance, it's every individual has their own private mantra. And the tones of that mantra resonate with the body at a different level to help rebalance those areas in the body. So that was really interesting. That was a whole new, a whole nother take that, you know, that he shared with us on that. Well, that, yeah, I agree. That comes out for me in the study of the Hindus mm -hmm. uh, and uh, the languages, Sanskrit and before Sanskrit, the Pali languages. Uh, when you speak with people that study Pali and Sanskrit, all of the words and symbols had those those vibrations we think of words here in america uh, or the united states or in the western world just as it's a it's a sound and but it's mainly a definition or a meaning is how we use words on a daily basis but in pali and sanskrit those words did have vibrations to them mm -hmm. and sometimes multiple vibrations to them and and they were used for specific healings like that. I agree. Uh, and I think that I think it is fascinating that ultimately it would be really nice, to, of course, from a scientist point of view, to know that spirituality was also scientific because it means that we could know more and, and get better. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I like that. Yeah, make these sounds, you know, cure yourself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, you, there's a lot of people that do sound therapy, oh, the yeah. chakra bowls, the uh, singing bowls. And when we look, when we talk about um, chanting and mantras, even the process itself of chanting or saying mantras, uh, one of the things that we've learned uh, using the electroencephalogram, uh, putting all of the wires on people's heads and measuring the scalp uh electricity and and wave patterns uh, through the skin and the scalp of people that are in different states of awake and meditation and sleep we see that meditators seem to go into deeper meditations when they're exhaling mm. rather than inhaling and so one of the things that happens when somebody is chanting or s saying a mantra is technically you're exhaling. Right. 
And in doing that, uh, it does bring you into softer states, meditative states. So it calms you down. It, it lowers stress. It helps healing there. It calms the cells down. Vibrations change. Uh, and uh, we go on from there. Mm. So let me cover the last aspect of spirituality. Uh, and that to me is about treatments. And I like, I like this one the most because in spirituality, there's a lot of ritualism. <clears throat> and that, that continues the spirituality practices, you know, different ways that people pray, different acts that people do at different points in their life based on religion and spirituality. We go through lots of rituals. And medicine is no different. Uh, you know, we look back to the very beginnings of medicine uh, maybe in caves and then in with the Greeks and, you know, in the sanctuaries uh, with Asclepius and with Hippocrates. And there's lots of ritual. And when I was doing my surgery residency, uh, that was one of the most ritualistic uh, processes I've ever been in. In a way, you can metaphorically say that we would go down into a cave and that cave would be, of course, the surgical suites, but it's away from other heart parts of the hospital. Usually, uh, they were either down in basements or they were up at the up at the roof or something. But a lot of times, down in basements. So we would go into these caves, and then we would start these washing processes where we would scrub ourselves. As the physicians, the surgeons, we were going in to operate. We would do these cleansing ceremonies very carefully. And then we would walk into this room where the patient was up on a slab, you know, probably historically on a piece of rock somewhere or some kind of a table. But now in modern times, they're in a, uh, a surgical suite on a surgical operating table. But it's still this patient is there. And immediately when you walk in the room, attendants come to you and put you in these gowns and garb you and you put masks on and hats on and disguises and then this team comes around and you're anointed probably with oils of certain kinds uh, in historical times but now we're using a, a cleanser or an antiseptic or an antibiotic type of uh, solution to clean things off then we we put robes over patients and then we enter into uh, into their bodies and remove things from them and try and put them back together. Uh, it, it was so ritualistic for me that it's very important, I believe, to continue the ritualistic process uh, within all of the things that we do within medicine, but to bring it into a spirituality. Certainly, you could imagine that in early times that spirits were invoked as you were trying to uh, heal someone uh, in a, in some medical form. And we seem to lose that a little bit now. Not always. People do bring it in in certain places. But I think that everyone should bring spirituality into their own healing process. An example for me, and these are things that I learned in working not with Western doctors, but with homeopathic doctors and naturopathic doctors and Asian medicine doctors and Ayurvedic doctors and shamans, that they 
for example, put an, they did some kind of a process with the, the medications or herbs that, that people would take. And you had to honor it in some way. And I try and take that uh, process now with my clients where there's, before they take a pill, what, even if it's a Western antibiotic pill, that before they take it, they should go through a, a little ritualistic process of first coming into uh, alignment with spirit, mind, and body, and to allow something to enter your body with the understanding that there's something that's wrong in your body that needs a healing and you want your, you know, we call it the temple, we call it the sanctuary, whatever. Uh, you ha we each have our own name, but we need to honor this thing, this embodiment that we're in. And when something is wrong with it, our natural defenses are to keep things out of it. So when we're trying to take a medication, or to have a procedure done, I think it's a good idea to have a ritualistic process to first, let's say taking just an antibiotic, uh, first just take a moment before you just take the antibiotic and allow for your body to think about itself and to open itself up to allowing something foreign to come into it to do a work that it has to do to repair something and heal you. And then the second part of that for me is to actually honor the drug or herb or liquid or medication or whatever and allow it to have the right energies to come in and properties to come in to do what it's supposed to do. I think it's a nice little ritualistic process that when I do that with my clients, they seem to get more out of it. They seem to realize that taking the medicine is an important part and that they they don't forget it as often uh so that's that's an important part of just taking medications for me yeah. uh, and then i could talk about some other treatments but do you have any thoughts on that oh absolutely i i love that thought that process um so no matter if it's a, in a pill form or an herb form or in homeopathic form you help them to create this little ritual around the medications is that correct that's correct and, and it's a two-part ritual first part is for yourself and then it's for the whatever you're taking in mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i to, love that yeah to honor both of them i mean i've seen different aspects of that in different healings you know in homeopathy uh with their tr remedies they they tap the or shake the bottle of of the remedy itself before you take it in and there's things that you do with it and and shamans do a lot of different things with their uh, herbs and um, mm -hmm. medications so I think that the body needs to be part of it and allow something to come in to naturally loosen up the defenses that we try to have about something foreign coming into us we need to take that one moment to open up and to allow something to come in with a purpose behind it and if the purpose has a spiritual spirituality along with it being connected to the mind and connected to the body then it tunes in a little bit better and sometimes it would be interesting to do a study on this we've done some studies but on terms of blood loss and 
pain medication after surgeries uh, and getting out of uh, surgery more easily uh, with prayer and uh, spirituality. In fact, we did a study where we presented something. I think Jan Ingram in one of her uh, interviews uh, as a nurse went to the Mayo Clinic to present a program that we did uh, at our hospital. But I think that it brings it in very nicely. And the next thing I'll talk about maybe is, uh, for example, surgical treatments. Mm -hmm. But uh, yes, I think it's a good idea. Mm -hmm. I, I, I love that, that, um, that flow of the ritual or just uh, in, in, in some cases, you're in some worlds, it's called, it's like raising the frequency of what it is you're intaking. And it's like with food. And when people say their, um, their blessings or, uh, you know, to food before they intake it, or in some religions, it's, um, what do they call that, Gwen? <laughs> uh, to say grace with their oh, food, right? right? right, they're, right. they're raising like the frequency. Why not do that with anything we intake? Especially well, that's the medications that are, brought in to heal our bodies and create balance. Yes. I think it should be expanded out into everything. And, and it's a way, it's a form of what people like John Kabat-Zinn and a number of others call mindfulness. And then you talk about, yes, we should have mindful eating and mindful uh, conversations and mindful thinking and mindful sports, mindful everything. But since this is Magical Medical Tour and uh, we're talking about health today, I don't want to have to bring it to everything right away, but we could at least bring it into healthy aspects. Absolutely. Yes, I agree with you. I would encourage people to bring that into uh, when you eat and everything else that you do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, in terms of something like a treatment, surgery, for example, uh, surgery for most people is uh, – devastatingly fearful. Mm -hmm. Most people are not happy, happy about it on many conscious and subconscious levels. If you have to be put to sleep, just the act of being put to sleep where you lose your own control uh, and, you, and you don't know if you're going to wake up and it's not about you, you're out of control, you're naked to the world, um, that could be very scary to people on subconscious levels. Mm -hmm. So uh, preparing for surgery is something uh, that I also do as a medical guide, and there are many parts to it. Uh, I don't want to get into all of it now because each person is unique. And, and again, you have to, if you take a history with someone and you ask them about their spirituality and you're trying to prepare them for surgery, it's best to speak in their terms. So it's very important that way. But I like to, uh, work with people that I know are going to have a procedure and I set up a mantra for them actually. And it becomes a, it's sort of a visualization meditation mantra mm -hmm. and the mantra, uh, they should do it every day before the surgery and they should also do it. Uh, I instruct them to do it <clears throat> when ever a fearful moment comes into their consciousness about the surgery. Mm -hmm. Uh, but before I recommend they do it when the fearful moment comes in, I recommend that they use that moment and analyze it. Why did it come in? Why did it come in just at this moment? What is the fear? 
you know, learn about that and see if from a scientific point of view, you can figure out why it keeps popping up and what I'm so afraid of. Where does that come from? And look for a healing from that. So that's the first thing I say when a fear comes up, especially based around a surgery. But then the second thing, after you've done a little bit of analysis, uh, you can also continue to analyze it and say, how much did I obsess in that fear before I recognized that I was thinking about it even? <laughs> you know, you, you, that's an important part also. You say, wow, I just spent the last uh, eight minutes or was it, oh, I caught it in three seconds. So it's very important to try and recognize that as part of your analysis too, as to where your mind works and the mindfulness of, of your own consciousness through mm-hmm. every waking moment. But as soon as you've figured all of that out and the rest of the answers to life. <laughs> the surgery will be over. The surgery, yeah. You, you may not even need it. You may have killed <laughs> it. But then I have people go through this ritual. And I've, I've done this myself with myself. And, of course, my visualization is a lot deeper than what I do with many people because I have so many aspects of knowledge of anatomy and surgery and intravenous lines and everything. But I start a process with them where I have them starting to picture. First, they look at themselves and they say uh, something. And we work this out. I'm just giving you a little bit of an idea what it is now. But we say that at this moment in time, if you've done all your good work and you practice preparatory medicine, uh, with your medical guide and you were in the best health you can be in, then at this moment when you're uh, having this surgery, you're in the best health that you possibly will ever be in without it. So you honor that. And so you honor the fact that you've made the choice to have the surgery and you go ahead with that and saying, this is the right time and this is what I want to do and I am ready for it. And then you start looking at yourself. And again, you have to now allow your body to open itself up to other people that are going to not only just maybe give you a medication, but now you have someone who's going to be standing over you with a very sharp instrument that's going to just open you up somewhere, (laughs) you know, and reach in and start doing things inside of you where no one else gets to go. Mm -hmm. So you have to open yourself up to that and allow someone else to enter spiritually, mentally, and physically. Mm. And when you make that connection, it makes it better. Because if we see many times people um, that go under anesthesia, sometimes under the normal drugs, they're not getting deep enough. And we can tell that because a surgeon who's getting ready to go into someone's abdomen can feel if the abdominal muscles are still tight or when they relax, when the anesthesia takes over, they Mm. can tell that. And sometimes people are so unrelaxed Mm. for various reasons that the anesthesia takes a little longer or they have to go to stronger doses. And some of that may be, and this would be another study, you know, to see uh, if the spiritual subconscious part is preventing that. Mm. Mm. Uh, So you have to let people in and then you start imagining the, uh, the doctor that's going to be working and you say they're at the top of their game and the anesthesiologist top of their game, all of the attendants and nursing staff top of their game. It's going to be the best surgery ever. All of the medications going to work. And the second that they start working 
I'm already looking toward healing. And the moment they close me up, I'm already in the process of healing. Mm -hmm. And, and that, so that mantra, something, some variation of that is a, is a thing that I have them work in. And the last thing that I do as a great ritual and everyone that I've done this with has just been so happy about it. And I think I may have mentioned this before somewhere, maybe in uh, one of the yoga hub uh, conferences where just before you go out under anesthesia and you could do this, if you're not going under anesthesia, you could do this for any procedure. If it's even something where it's just local and something else, but basically before you go out under anesthesia, the, the last thing you do is smile. Mm -hmm. And when you smile, it starts out with a face smile, but then you, through your concentration, make that smile expand down to your heart and then expand where your whole body goes into a smile. And that's the way you enter surgery where your whole body is in a smile. And then I say to them, the very moment your consciousness returns either in the emergent, either in the surgical suite where you're still on the table or back in recovery or somewhere else, that very moment that you come back into consciousness, you repeat that smile and you start with the smile of your face. Of course, you're going to be a little groggier this time and not totally into it for a moment, but you concentrate on that smile. That's how you're going to arise back into consciousness from the surgery that starts in your mouth, goes around your head and face, goes down to your heart and expands out. And even if that only lasts for a second because you go back to sleep, due to the anesthesia, you've now surrounded your surgery in a ritualistic spiritual smile. And it just does so much for people. So I think that, you know, from those aspects and spirituality that we've spoken about today, you know, it needs to be brought into healing from every point of view. Doctors need to bring a little more spirituality into their practice Patients need to bring it to the doctor's practice and into their own practice. And in doing any kind of a treatment, a medication, even if you're putting on an antibiotic ointment for some reason, you have a little cut, take a moment and just honor, look at the cut, clean it up, you know, honor the fact that you have a body that protected it and didn't make it worse. And then take this ointment, simple, you know, antibiotic ointment, honor it for a moment and, and allow it to do what it's going to do without hurting, without side effects. Uh, only it's going to have its pure, perfect purpose. And I didn't mean to say pure, perfect purpose. <laughs> <laughs> Triple P action. <laughs> I don't think I could say it again. Oh, I think those are some really, really wonderful tips, uh, Glenn. And I, I truly believe in that whole process of mantra as we're leading up to something. Uh, I did use it uh, when uh, I was about to give birth for months before. And it really, really, I feel, made such a difference, um, you know, to to the labor and the birthing section of, of you know, having a baby at an older age, etc., that... It, everything was so calm, no matter how many hours ticked by. <laughs> everything stayed, you know, at a really lovely calm. 
And I, I do believe that, that, uh, um, when we, when we continue to honor ourselves like that and allow for things to unfold, it, it works on many, many levels. So it's lovely to hear you say that and share those wonderful techniques with all of us. Um, and I, I will definitely practice each and every one of them. Yeah. And, you know, we spend so much money and energy trying to, uh, get things that will help us buying supplements and getting organic food and doing all of these other things. This is something that <laughs> costs nothing, but has a great benefit. Mm -hmm. I, I believe know? so. It, it is uh, truly back to, um, Oh, that Japanese doctor, and I always forget his name, when he was doing all the scientific research with water. Uh, Miyamoto, Miyamoto, I Miyamoto think. Miyamoto or Miyamoto, I, Miyamoto I, I think, yes. I don't want to be quoted on that. I, yeah, me neither. And uh, how, as you know, that the wonderful thought processes and how it changed the formations of water. And uh, that's what we're really made out of, aren't we? We're, we're so much of our body is made of of uh, water in our cells so yeah I, that's wonderful how you're showing and and guiding everyone to to shift to shift within our bodies with shift within our cellular levels to create balance yeah connecting the body and the mind yeah. and the spirit all good things you know it seems to be buzzwords but mm. since they've been buzzwords for thousands and thousands of years <laughs> <laughs> there must be something something in it uh you know i want to remind everyone about uh our contest which is uh to figure out a word for this kind of a show uh, giving away sleep suite for the next two weeks uh and you can watch it live the people that are watching live i guess can uh, have the advantage uh, of getting in the contest early uh, otherwise go to maybe itunes and they'd be able to watch it uh, on a podcast, either going to Magical Medical Tour or Yoga Hub or YHTV. And if, by the way, you're looking for uh, this or other shows, you can like them and uh, vote on them. Give us a good rating. We like that. <laughs> I completely agree. Um, yes, and of course, uh, on the show, on the website itself, there will be links to the iTunes podcasts as well. So really help everyone out uh, to get there as we have other links about the show and refers to Dr. Glenn Woolman. So we thank everyone for joining us here today, especially our very special guest, our Dr. Glenn Woolman, our wonderful medical guide. <laughs> thank you, Christina. I would like to say that uh, I would always, of course, like to thank our viewers i'd like to thank my healers and my teachers for helping me on my journey and until we meet uh next week in another aspect of the healthcare galaxy i would like to wish all of you optimal health <laughs> thank you doc and of course as he says thank you to all of you for joining us here and we invite you to join us live every Tuesday at 11.30 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, 1.30 Eastern Time for our Magical Medical Tour, Wednesdays for our Trinity of Life at uh, 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time, followed every week with our new show, 
flowing into awareness with Anatara. And you can also find Dr. Glenn Woolman at myyogahub.com forward slash G Woolman and on Twitter at Glenn Woolman. And of course, through his own site, glennwoolman.com, where you can learn about his metaphor square breath and contact him. I'd like and, to leave everyone with a health tip. Oh, must have that. I thought this whole show was a health tip. <laughs> this is a very special health tip. Please go share out, with us. Go out and vote. Go out and vote. <laughs> Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Christina. Thank you, Doug. We shall see you next week. Namaste. Namaste.